come with me. We're going on a fantastic cruise. Pick your destination with news tips and reviews. But here is an item you might not have thought of. All of the things under the water. Nature surrounds us with elegant features. You can't go on a cruise and not see the creatures. So let's make some magic. Let's get ecstatic. Instantly classic. Maybe romantic. The wildlife around you. Cinematic on your fantastic cruise. Bon Beanie, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Fantastic Cruising. I am Matt. And I am Kimbra. And we hope everybody is doing well out there, staying safe, staying indoors, and uh, everything we have to do during this strange time. Speaking of which, a lot of you are maybe looking for stuff to do right now, stuck at home. Well, don't forget the Fantastic Studios YouTube channel where we've been releasing some of our latest vlog. But also check out some other YouTube creator channels out there. There's a lot of activity, a lot of positive stuff going on. We've even been in some collaboration with some people. Yeah, I think it was, what, Sharon at Sea? And then we also did something with... uh Alana Zingano. That's right. And there's probably more coming out soon. So uh, make sure that you're staying up on all the cruising activities that are going on in the community because there's a lot of good stuff happening right now. Speaking of good stuff, this episode is a lot of fun because we were able to talk with the Professor Travel. Yeah, absolutely. The Professor Travel is a big contributor here at uh, Fantastic Cruising on the Facebook page. He sends us a lot of emails. Um, so we thought we'd get him on. He has his own channel as well, as well as podcasts. So we thought we'd get him on and kind of hear his take on some stuff. Absolutely. So we're going to mostly focus on sort of the evolution of cruising. He's been cruising for a long time, since the 80s. Yeah, since actually. the early 80s. Yeah, yeah. And uh, he's younger than me, so that's scary. Yeah, he's older than me. Whatever. Hey, Scott, how you doing? Oh, great, Kimbra. How you guys doing over there? We are doing pretty good, as good as can be expected right now. Just yeah, absolutely. Home, watching a lot of stuff. <laughs> yeah, but glad to have you on here. Um, you are the Professor Travel, right? That is correct. Yeah, can you tell us about who you are and what you do? Sure. Um, well, my name is Scott, and I created a site called The Professor Travel, which focuses on learning more as a community, um, getting together to discuss it. Uh, hopefully traveling more, especially internationally, and uh, inspiring and enjoying life more. I mean, that's the goal I think all of us have, when it, whether it comes to cruising or just traveling interna- internationally. So the goal of my site is to help to uh, link people together, uh, enjoy culture, enjoy food, enjoy history, enjoy art, and really make the most of their vacations. That all sounds good to me. I, I, I love the cultural aspect. Of course, I love the art aspect of it. And uh, I, th- I think it's really cool. Now, you and what I, I like about your uh, podcast and everything is that you, I mean, you're, you focus on cruising some, but you're, like you say, you're more just travel in general, world travel. Like, you've been to all kinds of places. And uh, I, I know I saw on your website you're planning a trip to India next winter. Oh, actually, not just India, but there's about 10 countries in December. Uh, I work for a college, so part of my enjoyment of working for the college is that I automatically get off the last two weeks of the month. Nice. So without having to use any vacation time, it's a great opportunity for me to go, hey, what about this? So yeah, I decided yeah, really um, cool. this year, <laughs> yeah, so I decided this year um, to consolidate my vacation time as well as that free time to take a trip uh, that would include India, the United Arab Emirates, Oman, the Seychelles, the Maldives, Tanzania, Kenya, and South Africa as well. Whoa. Wow. Okay. How, how long are you going to be on this trip? Like- it's a 35-day trip. That wow. is amazing. That's cool. I am obviously teaching in the wrong sort of institution. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I think that's what I just learned from this right now. <laughs> but you know what? I, I was I was going to talk to you guys about this as well, because later on, especially when I go to the Maldives and the Seychelles, I wanted to, you know, kind of track the different cruise creatures that I see as I go along through these places. Yeah. You guys are inspiring me more to want to take those risks. I mean, up till now, I've really only done snorkeling and things like that. But I want to actually get out and see a little bit more in the places that we end up going to. So I'll keep you informed as I go to those places. And that way I can kind of, uh, flag you guys on the different types of creatures that I see, as well as the wonderful, fantastic family. 
That would be that would be yeah, fantastic. That would be awesome. Yeah, and some of those places you're going have some amazing creatures. In fact, India. The reason that India stuck out to me is one, it's like my favorite genre of food. I don't know if genre is the right word there, but anyway, <laughs> I, it's uh, like I love Indian food and also some of my favorite animals, including my very favorite animal in the whole wide world, the Indian gharial. Of course, is over there. You like gharials? I know. Who would who would have thought that? What? So, uh, so if, if you see one of those, I will be extremely jealous. I've only seen them in in zoos and things like that over here. Very very cool. Absolutely. Now, uh, you've been you're about my age, Scott. I'm mm-hmm. not you're I'm not going to say you're a little bit younger than me because that makes me feel old. But you're a little <laughs> bit younger than me, and uh, and so but you've been cruising a lot longer. So I, I started cruising in 2011, mm-hmm. and you started cruising in the 80s, right? That's correct. Yeah. I was actually 10 years old. My mother was a cruise consultant and she used to, or not just yeah. a cruise, but a travel consultant. And so she worked with a bunch of travel agents and she was given an opportunity to travel along with my dad and myself on our, on our first cruise, uh, which was to Alaska. And so I had an opportunity to go on car- one of Carnival's first ships, which was called the Tropical. It was, I think their second or third ship in the entire mm-hmm. fleet back in the eighties, kind of a small ship. Uh, I actually looked at the stats on it and it said, um, when it was sold, it was uh, around 1,400 passengers. But I think it actually, according to my mom, and she's still with me, and I'm helping I'm helping her out right now, considering all the stuff that's going on currently. Um, she she recalls it being much smaller than that. She thought she thought it was around 500 passengers or or something to that extent. And it it strikes me on that because I know that a lot of the cruise ships over time they go through refurbishments and sometimes they'll even lengthen the size of the cruise ships in order to add more rooms. So it wouldn't surprise me if that number might actually be accurate. Well, and, and we are, what we're going to do is we're going to focus on like how cruising has changed over the years. So right there, it, it could be too, that it just wasn't a full ship. I, I don't know if cruising, I feel like cruising has really gained popularity immensely in the last probably 10 years or so maybe that's just because i started cruising and it's just that that's my perspective (laughs) of it but it just seems like there's so many things you know popping up around cruising now um i don't know if the ships used to sell out as much as they they do now or or how that thing worked but let's let's go back in time Mm -hmm. if we will i need a sound effect we need the tardis like okay and uh let's go back in time to, to 1983 and tell us, what do you remember about like the whole, let's start with embarkation. Like what was it, sure. what was it like to get on the ship? So I remember the embarkation process. We actually got on in Vancouver, British Columbia. And uh, again, I was only 10 years old at the time, but this is my first cruise. So it's almost like walking into the Roman Coliseum for a little kid like that, <laughs> it's like massive. And so I, I really, you know, I, I, I had to take it all in. It was the biggest thing I'd ever seen in my life. And I was like, oh my gosh. Um, but I will tell you this, um, the embarkation process to me seemed very orderly. It seemed uh, very interesting. Uh, there were a lot of places I wanted to explore on the ship and being one of the only kids on the ship, it was kind of interesting. That's where I think uh, cruising, at least for Carnival on their perspective has changed over the years because way back in the day, you know, especially when they were just getting started out, it was much more of a, of a mature audience that they were appealing right. to. So I was one of, in the entire trip, I was one of only three kids on the entire ship. Wow. So it was really interesting. Um, I remember they had like two video games and a pinball machine or something like that at the time. <laughs> and that was it. And they had like a disco, uh, like glow in the dark floor uh, on one of the areas there. Uh, I, that was like, okay, well, the three of us, the, the only kids on board, we would come and meet together. And it's like, okay, all these adults are just annoying us now. So we need to figure out something to do. So we just hung <laughs> around each other for the most part. But yeah, that's as far as I can remember from the uh, embarkation process, it was more of an exploratory thing for me. It was just, it, it was incredible for a little kid to see something that big right off the bat. It was amazing. I can imagine everything looks bigger when you're a kid. Mm-hmm. Anyway, like cool. you said, so it would have seemed immense now. Okay. So you, just a quick kind of brief recap. So you cruised in 1983. That was to Alaska. Did you do a lot of cruising the rest of your childhood or did you come back to cruising later? How, how did that work? I, I actually did not do that much cruising because if I'm going to be honest with you, not having the kids around when I was a, when I was that young didn't settle well with me. So I was figuring, okay, yeah. well, this is just an adult theme thing. Oh, one other thing I want to bring up really quick. I remember very vividly that we would do 
the um, main dining hall um, in the Tropicale because there wasn't a buffet back then. Right. Oh, okay. So no, they didn't have buffets, at least not on the ships back in that day, or at least right. it wasn't on that ship specifically. So um, I remember there was a bar called the Boiler Room that was on the main deck that, you know, you can get food almost 24 hours a day from there, but it was a very small, like, display of stuff. Anyways, um, to your original question, though, I, I, I wasn't really enthusiastic about going on cruising. I did want to travel a little bit, but you know, I, I, I didn't really catch the, the traveling bug that early in my life. So I figure maybe I was either spoiled or, you know, I just really didn't think of it in terms of something like that. I could so see that. It, it had that. it had that sort of impression, like you said, it was for older people. I, I know, I, I remember my cousin, who's just a few years older than me, traveling on a cruise when I was in maybe my early 20s, so like early, early 90s, something like that. And um and, and him getting back, and I, I know he brought back a bunch of, like, liquor and stuff, like rum, and he was like, I got it so cheap. And I, I just remember thinking, wow, that's so cool. But at the time, I just thought, I can never afford a cruise. Like, that's only something that really, really rich people do. That was probably not an accurate assessment of it, but that was my perspective. So not only was it, like, a, people, I think, viewed it as something for older people, I think, unless it was just me, a lot of people viewed it as something that only the the super wealthy got to do. When in reality, it probably was as affordable then as it is now. <laughs> I don't know. It's uh, it's interesting. You know, you know, it actually it actually brought up. I, I was actually doing some research on um, ocean liners and versus cruises way way back in the days because um, you know originally you had these massive ships like and I'll just bring up the Titanic just because it was a, a, a ocean liner at the time and um, you know the purpose of a lot of these larger ships was not for luxury, but more to transport people from country to country because right. planes were not really in effect back in the day. And then it, around the 1950s is when, no, well, 1940s and 1950s is when air travel started to come into more play. So that's when ocean liners started to taper off and cruise ships started to, you know, research for just purposes of entertainment. That's why uh, when you have Carnival, you know, coming up in, in the 70s and 80s, it started to uh, lead on a lot of these other cruise lines. I actually did not take my next cruise uh, for probably about 12 more years after that. And then um, I remember it very vividly because it was, uh, a, a, it was a Royal Caribbean cruise out of, or out of uh, Long Beach, California. And I think I was 22 at the time. And I remember it because the Clinton impeachment was going on at the time. And a lot of people were watching it on the ship when that was happening. Huh. <laughs> Interesting. So, okay. So, um, let, so let's see. So, so cruising, back then and let's let's go back to those experiences because still 95 for me 2011 that's a big gap a lot changed in the cruising world oh yeah um one of the big things that changed and this kind of goes back to embarkation is of course 9-11 and i i know i have a friend i used to work with and she would cruise before that she told me that it used to be a situation where a lot of times you'd get people that would stow away on cruises and that you could have like friends and family that could come onto the cruise ship with you and then they just had to get off the ship before the ship disembarked do you remember any of that sort of experience um not as per se a stowaway situation but i can tell you this <laughs> but i can tell you this um, my mom as i said she used to be in the travel industry herself and so she would have these opportunities to just go onto the ship regularly uh, get meals and then just come off, you know, without, there was really no check other than the fact that they just checked your business card or something like that. Um, apart from that, you know, you can't do that these days. It's, it's, I mean, you have the designated trips that are there for people in the travel industry, but it's much more tightly reined in. And, uh, you know, it's usually like a press junket or something like that. Yeah. Like, do you, do you remember having to go through like a metal detector or anything when you got on the on the cruise back then or was it pretty much just walk on board well i remember on the tropical it was nothing yeah. <laughs> it was yeah. like that was it <laughs> but on uh on the one for royal caribbean yes i do remember we did have to go through a metal detector for that and i thought it was because uh there had been a there there was some activity there was some terrorist activity in the mid to early 90s there was yeah there was an yeah. attempt on the world trade center yes. back then but it wasn't uh it, and uh, of course um 
uh, what was it, uh, Oklahoma City bombing and stuff like right, that. So right. I think at that time, a lot of cruise cruise lines and stuff like that were like, well, you know, this is a huge investment. So, I mean, we want to make sure that we're at least scanning minimally for people. And so they did have metal detectors. I do remember that, at least out of the port of Long Beach at the time. Well, I remember the airports back then. I mean, you, you went through a metal detector, but you didn't really have your bags scanned. It was just a real casual go through the metal detector and, and you didn't have to be on the flight. So, you know, like if, if my mom was flying down to Florida to see me back then, I could go to the gate and meet her. I could go to the gate until she actually got on the plane. Um, so that, that changed a lot for the airline. So I, I'm sure the the cruise line probably had something real basic set up. Yeah. Something else that has changed over the years, and this is something that if you go back and watch old versions of The Love Boat, you'll even see this. You know, <laughs> when, I, when I was in the port of Long Beach and we were saying goodbye to my sister who had dropped us off at the port of Long Beach, we had ticker tape and, and things like that. We would throw off the ship and it was like, right. oh, goodbye, everybody, goodbye. And so it was this huge celebration. You know, people would throw either rice or, or confetti or things like that. You know, it was like this big champagne moment. And yeah, you don't see that anymore. In fact, if you throw something off the ship, they are liable to tackle you and arrest right. you <laughs> because it is just not cool. Um, yeah, there's a lot of preservation of, uh, you know, the ecology and things like that. that right. They're doing what they can for the environment. So, in fact, a lot of cruise liners out there are taking the advanced steps not a, in order to not even have plastic on board anymore to the most. Right, part. right. Yeah, which I, I know I, I watch. I do like to watch the old Love Boat episodes and, and see that and think, oh, oh, I hope. I hope that's biodegradable. Uh, the other thing that, that always strikes me as interesting when I watch like old shows like that is they'd use some of the activities on board. So I, I like skeet shooting off the side. Can you imagine skeet shooting being on a modern day cruise? Like there's no, there's no way they would allow that. Or, or, or golf balls, you know, it's something yes. they would have driving ranges on a lot of these cruise ships where they just knock balls into the ocean. It's like, right. well, that's number one, a waste of a great golf ball. Thanks. But apart from right. that, think about all, think about all the fish are like, that's not food. What's going on? <laughs> Very interesting. Do you, do you remember any, do you, did you see them playing golf or, or skeet shooting when you were on the cruise? I remember seeing them play golf. Uh, I don't rec- I, 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 I was still, even at 22, I, I, it wasn't something I was regularly involved in. So it was like, okay, well, that was just not my thing. But I definitely right. remember seeing that when we were going down. Uh, at the time, that, that specific one was going from Long Beach to Ensenada, Mexico, and back. So it was just one of those things that I wanted to, you know, give it another shot. And I, and I did like it. In fact, a couple of years after that, in 2002, just after 9-11, uh, we had, uh, my mom had, uh, it, to celebrate my bachelor's uh, degree, uh, she took me on a cruise. We ended up flying over to Hawaii. And from there, we jumped on a cruise ship and went to all the islands there. Nice. That was the next one. And that was on Norwegian, the Norwegian Star. Again, over the course of these uh, of these three cruises that I made mention of, they have been primarily pretty, not not tiny, tiny cruises. I mean, like the Carnival was about 500 passengers. Um, and But the other ones were in the low thousand, like maybe a little over a thousand, maybe 1200 people, but that's about it. Nowadays, you get things like the Oasis class in Royal Caribbean and the, um, you know, quantum classes. And those things are like 5,000, 6,000 passengers, right. <laughs> you know, and, and I'll tell you about another cruise that I took um, it was, as we progressed through this timeline uh, a couple of years ago in the Baltics on the, on the uh, Regal Princess, which was about 50 two fifty three hundred passengers wow. and so that was quite a different setting so again um as we continue moving forward through this timeline um you know i get an opportunity to see how cruising has changed um with the first two cruises we were pretty, pretty much using the main dining hall for food and enjoying the activities a couple of shows enjoying the entertainers um when we got onto the norwegian cruise line um that's when we first started experiencing uh the the changes in the dining um, they, you know, you could do the main dining hall, but then they had this uh, kind of like a dine as you want program where you could go to any of these select restaurants for like a $10, $10 or more. You can go and have like a fondue restaurant or $10 more. You can go to a sushi place or something like that. So, and it seems like Norwegians kept that as they've gone along. Yeah. And a lot of these other cruises are starting to adapt to, you know, like freestyle dining. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. But um, I'll, I'll, let me just also elaborate on the Norwegian one because that was that was one of those ones where we flew to Honolulu from Southern California, um, five hour flight, get off the plane, drive 45 minutes and jump on a ship. We didn't even have time in Oahu. It was like, okay, go, 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 go. And so we just, <laughs> so we were like, okay, we get on there we're, and we're ready to go. So we went, we had an opportunity to go to, um, 
the Big Island of Hawaii on the Kona side. Um, then we traveled about 1,500 miles south to a place called Fanning Island, which is part of the Republic of Kiribati. Uh, because, you know, at the time, and I think it's still true, you have to visit a foreign port through maritime law in a lot of cases, unless you're, right. unless yeah. you're doing like a round trip cruise or something like that. Yeah, because they used to do, um, I forget the term off the top of my head, but where the ship dest- or cruise to nowhere. Mm-hmm. And I don't think they're allowed to do that anymore, or there'd be other things they'd have to do or something. Yeah. And then um, we dropped supplies off at Fanning Island and got a chance to meet the locals there, which was great. It was a really enjoyable experience. Um, And then headed right back up. Uh, We went to Maui after that and then over to the beautiful, lush green island of Kauai. This was after uh, a couple of years after a hurricane had hit Kauai and they had done some filming of Jurassic Park there. Oh, and wow. so there were chickens everywhere you know, <laughs> because all the coops had been blown open. And so chickens repopulated on the entire island. So everywhere you go, there's chickens, 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 and lush, lush vegetation. So, so it sort of was Jurassic Park, it just kind a, of modern, was. a modern version of Jurassic Park. <laughs> so the cruise creature for that one was a chicken. So <laughs> there you go. A little shout out to John Klaikowski there. <laughs> uh, so, so speaking of that, that that's the, that's another thing I wanted to kind of get your take on. Um, you didn't go to a did you do any caribbean cruising back in the day no in fact i was right now as we are talking it was going to be my first caribbean cruise i was destined to go to uh fly into puerto rico from southern california and then go uh to a number of islands from there uh i was supposed to go to barbados then granada then dominica then to i believe it was saint martin saint thomas and then back over to puerto rico Oh, nice. Yeah. So I'm so at least a Royal Caribbean because of the events of the coronavirus, they recently gave me a cruise credit of 125%, which is, hey, great. That's nice. Enjoy that. <laughs> um, so, Takes yeah. a little bit of the sting off, right? It's, yeah. Yeah. I mean, again, you know, it's, it's, we'll, we'll take it later on in the year. We're not going to have a problem with yeah. that. But, and yeah. I, and I want to, you know, stress to a lot of the, to a lot of your viewers and listeners, it's one of these things where, you know, cruising for me has become so enjoyable and so relaxing and just really a fun and cultural event that I, that I, I can't imagine, you know, the events of what's going on right now, putting me off, you know, I'm, I'm looking for, in fact, I'm getting the cruise blues right now, wanting to go (laughs) again, right at this moment, but I know I'm kind of stuck in my house right now, but don't think that doesn't stop me from looking at, you know, prices and, and understanding different cruises right now and, and stuff that's going on. I'm definitely excited about that. Yeah, absolutely. I know there's a lot of scare and worry from people. I think mostly from non-cruisers about cruising. You yeah. know, I know like our family's like, are you going to cruise again? And stuff like that. But, but I think a lot of that, I, I kind of attribute that almost to the same thing as a fear of maybe sharks where uh, yes, you know, two people get attacked by sharks every year, but um it's not really something you need to worry about. It's not something to, to stop enjoying your life over or anything like that. It's you just, you know, you want to don't swim at sunset wearing chum bathing suits and you're probably going to be. Yeah, there, you know, that, not a wash cruise. your hands when you're on the cruise and, and that sort of thing. But, but but back to what I was originally going through, I, I sidetracked myself um, the ports. So I, and, and I know you're into like the, the cultural side of things, which is really cool. Um, a lot of the ports that I've been to, and I've only cruised in the Caribbean, so I have kind of the opposite of you. I'd like to get to other places, but um, a lot of them are very commercialized. They're fun. I enjoy them. I don't want to give people the wrong impression, but at the same time, sometimes I don't feel like I've actually visited the country that I'm at. Uh, Were the ports and the places that you went, did they feel a little less commercialized? Did they feel a little less like Disney World uh, when you went back then? That's a good, that's a good question. Um, I would say um, up to that point, <laughs> I would say um, no, uh, they did seem very commercialized. Even like when we were on the island of Hawaii, where we were on the Kona side, there, like you get right off the ship and there's someone from Hilo Hatties right there saying, hey, come on, we'll take you on the bus over to our shop. And you know, we'll, you know, it, it's like the sales pitch when you go on these places. And we were just there to see a plantation, like a pineapple plantation type, type tour. Uh, but you know, I would say, depending on where you're going, you're going to see, um, places that are a lot more Disney-fied, if you want to put it that way, or, uh, a (laughs) place, that's actually a really good way to put it, or, uh, (laughs) or, or places that are a little bit more rustic. Um, Fanning Island is an example. 
they only receive supplies there. So it's like when they get people, they are so happy to get, you know, people in there. Um, when we went to Maui, it was like, Hey, welcome. Bye. <laughs> they were right? just, they, they were just like, okay, yeah. Welcome to our place. You know, enjoy, you know, have fun, but we're not going to bring out the parade for you or anything like that, which is fine. And I totally, I, I really appreciated that. Um, you know, a couple of years ago, as I was making mention, I went on this cruise to, um, to the Baltics and going to some of the ports that were up there, uh, you had to drive far from the port in order to actually get into the heart of what you were looking for. Um, because some of these ports are like industrial ports. Like when you went to Helsinki or something like that, um, it's, it's there, they construct cruise ships in Helsinki at the, at the port there. So, I mean, it's massive and you're seeing all these huge construction things going on but it's not exactly the most scenic. So, you know, you have to drive a little ways out in order to be able to get to some of the places that you're wanting to see. Uh, The way I would also put it is when I go on a cruise and I'm looking for a lot of ports, it's because of two things. Number one, my bucket list is to fill up as many countries as I possibly can. But number two, (laughs) um, I look at cruising almost like I look at a box of chocolates. It's kind of like you're sampling a lot of different things as you go through this. And if you do find that one country, you're like, oh, this was really a good experience. Then guess what? Maybe in the future, I'm going to fly there and I'm going to spend more time and just dig into a lot of the smaller cities and enjoy that. I've done that with Italy now a couple of times. So I really enjoy that a lot. That makes a lot of sense. And that is, that is something that I've been thinking about more and more because there, as I cruise to the different places, just in the Caribbean, and I, I mean, I say I'd like to go to other places, but I love the Caribbean so much that I don't know if I'd ever get sick of it. But even within those different port stops, I, I find that I like some a lot more than others. And that's, that's high marks because I don't think any of them I dislike at all. And so I, I find that I want to spend more time there. Like on our last cruise, Grand Cayman is a good good example. There's when I watch videos and stuff on YouTube of of where people have gone on Grand Cayman that aren't cruising, even that are, but especially that aren't, that they can get a little further away. They have more time. There's so much more to offer there than than I'm able to experience on a cruise or like, uh, you know, Curacao, Aruba. We're going to go to Bonaire, hopefully in October. Uh, These are places that I feel like I could spend like a whole week just there. And uh, in most cruise ports, that's probably true. But I, I, I get your I get your meaning. And and our friends of Traveling Duo kind of have done that. They went to Honduras, loved it. And then they went and spent like a week in Honduras and got a much more culturally, culturally enriching experience, as well as being able to see more stuff. I will also say this. Different people have a different idea of what culture is. For example, you look at, uh, you know, and, and you do a fantastic job here at Fantastic Cruising of being able to take a, a look at the marine view of a lot of the cruises that you go on. You talk about the cruise creature, you talk about the different types of snorkeling and scuba things that you guys do. But then, um, you know, t- take, for example, Tommy from Always Be Booked, and I'll bring his name up as one example. You know, he's his cruise, uh, his cruises focus on a little bit more of the party going, and, and that's really fantastic because, you know, you might have those people where a cultural experience for them might be, oh, well, you know, what kind of alcohols and what kind of drinks are out there and what kind of, you know, party life is at these different places. And to him and his audience, that's fantastic. You know, I, I think it's I think it's amazing. And so getting a little bit of a flavor for how everybody perceives culture, it, it's it's fantastic. I think it's really rewarding, ultimately. I totally agree. And 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 I love shout out to Tommy because uh, I, I love listening to his podcast, even though he, he cruises a little bit differently than, than I do. But some things we would we do the same. But uh, but one of the cool things about that is, whereas I'm all about getting into the water, seeing the wildlife and uh, but but occasionally I want to sample that local drink or or hit that local spot. That's just kind of fun. And I don't have time to keep going back to that port and experiencing different areas like I would with the ecology. So I just listen to Tommy and Tommy tells me where to go. And I know if I go there yep. that I'm going to have a great experience. So uh, it's it's really neat. I'm glad you brought that up because it is really neat to, to get all of our different perspectives and uh, and kind of give that more complete picture of the cruise experience because it is a very different experience for a lot of people. But there are things that kind of tie us all together. So it's a lot of it's a lot of fun. Yeah, actually, if I can touch base on that for just one quick second, I think a lot of us, especially especially right now, um, given the state of things in you know the world and our nation, 
um, I think it's important for us to look at the different podcasts that are out there. And in, in order to look at this as kind of an educational opportunity, as well as a future cruise opportunity. Uh, there are a lot of really fantastic podcasts and, and, and vlogs out there right now. Uh, yours, obviously, Fantastic Cruising. I think you two do a, a fantastic job. Um, <laughs> a, thin, a thin, nominal job, actually. There you go. And uh, beyond <laughs> that... Speaking I, my language. Yes, exactly. And then, um, you know, Tommy does his thing uh, over at Always Be Booked. I think he's great. The gold standard, of course, is being Doug Parker. He oh, does yeah. an amazing job as well. Um, of just hammering the news, making sure people are having those reviews. And that's great. And then, you know, I come at it from a different, a, a completely different perspective, focusing on the culture, the art, the history, and really, you know, digging into some of those uh, best practices that travelers do when they want to be able to take those things. So I think as a community, we try to come together in order to create that holistic experience for everyone who's going on these different trips. And I appreciate the work that you guys do as part of that process. Absolutely. Yeah, that, that is really cool. I'm glad you brought up Doug, too, because, uh, you know, right now, one of the biggest threats, I think, in general, but especially right now, is, is fake news. And if you want to get, I think, let's let's just say that I'm just gonna say this. Cruise radio is the CDC of cruise news when it comes to <laughs> the, the current situation. You're going to get accurate information directly from the source and not just opinions that that may or may not be accurate. So uh, check out if you guys are out there and you haven't listened to cruise radio, uh, go check it out because it's it's a great source for ship reviews, but but mostly for just news about what's happening in the cruise industry and the cruise world. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay, well, let's move on to um, let's keep going forward in time a bit. So um, so let's see. Right now we're in like the, the mid 90s. Uh, well, well, yeah, early we, 2000s. Yeah, we're in the early 2000s right now. So we, we jumped there and then I had this very long dry spell. Um, I, I started in higher education in 2000. And so uh, at that point, I was really immersed in just doing I, so I've been just for the audience members and are out there I'm, I'm celebrating 20 years in higher education and I've done everything possibly under the sun uh, in from working in financial aid to being an academic advisor I'm uh, now the director of student services for a college in Southern California so I mean I enjoy what I do I enjoy helping the staff to help the students it's a fantastic opportunity and it, it really is one of those things that it's a dream come true um, so only over the last couple of years have I had a real opportunity to kind of explore and go out there again. I, I've wanted to, as I said, I've, I've really wanted to go out there and add more countries to my quote unquote bucket list. And not, right now I'm actually up to 23. So I'm really excited about nice. that. Um, so uh, in 2016, I got married. Uh, so congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I, he seems to think it's okay too. So, I um, so, but he, that's important. Yeah. That's important. Exactly. <laughs> he, had, he had never cruised before. So I said, okay, well, why don't we, why don't we try a short cruise and see what you think. So out of the port of Long Beach, again, there was another cruise uh, that we ended up taking on this time on another carnival ship, because this will be my second carnival cruise. And this one was on the carnival imagination. I want to say, I think it's, okay. it's either imagination or inspiration. One of the two. Okay. And so a little, little bit of a bigger ship that was about 3000 passengers. And that was going uh, to a local Island. We have off of the California coastline here, which is called Catalina which is an yeah. amazing island. And then down to Ensenada, Mexico. Then we spent a day at sea and then back over to uh, Southern California. So um, the first day out, we're just traveling from Long Beach over to Catalina and it's about 20 miles, nothing really big. Unfortunately on that day, we have what's called Santa Ana winds. And that was knocking the ship so back and forth <laughs> that our wine bottle on top of the table was sliding on the table. <laughs> it was like, it was like, eh this is not the best impression I want to give to you. But after that, there was no other problems on sea. It was fantastic. Uh, we went over to Catalina. Uh, we enjoyed a wine and uh, history tour of Catalina as we would go nice. from place to place to place. And then down to Ensenada, we did a wine tour down there of two vineyards in Ensenada, which was really eye-opening because I didn't really even think of wine when I was going down to Mexico, uh, but it right. was fantastic. And then, um, you know, back up, you know, to Southern California, had a couple of spa days, you know, or just enjoy the spa. Um, it, it was, it was a lot of fun, but we could, I could really see how cruising had changed from 2002 to 2017, which is when I took that cruise and, you know, the size of the ship, obviously. And I think I commented to you before uh, when I, when I've written to you guys that sometimes the sales people on the ship can be a little bit invasive. And this That's was pushy. my, 
Yeah, <laughs> this is my first experience of that when it was someone coming up to me with a drink and saying, hey, would you like to have a drink? I'm like, no, that's okay. Two minutes later, hey, would you like to have a drink? I'm like, okay, <laughs> you know what? I start walking away. Hey, would you like to have Okay, like I get it. I get right, it. Right, right. <laughs> so um, definitely there's some sales tactics. I'm not the, I, when, I, when I'm on a cruise, I want to be on vacation. And yeah. I, I've dealt with salespeople a lot through my, through my lifetime. And so for me, it's one of these things where I get that they have to do the sale, but I'm more of a fan of the soft sale. And if it's there, if I see a promotion on a ship that I want to go to, I'll go over to it. I don't need them to kind of throw the ticker tape in my face and say, Hey, here we are. You know, I, I just want to make sure that they know I, I'm here for you. And I certainly will want to get those excursions and upgrades and things like that. But at the same time, I don't need it. You know, thrown in my face all the time that nonetheless i had a wonderful experience we did we did the buffet out there uh i think that was my first time doing the buffet and both my and both my husband and myself are both insomniacs so this was our first time <laughs> to see what could be available food wise after 2 a.m in the morning and carnival apparently has this wonderful little pizza joint in the back of yes. the thing and so i definitely partake of partook of that so that was a that was a really good one and again that takes us up to 2017 so okay so here's what i gotta find out now did your husband did he and did he enjoy the cruise Was he... he actually did actually yeah he Good. said he said you know i i think i could do this i'm like okay so if you think you can do this maybe we can go for a little <laughs> bit of a longer cruise uh so we started to look at some other spots out there and later on that year is when we did the baltic cruise that okay. was through princess cruises and to this day i will say hands down my favorite cruise period uh we were it, it was First off, remember I told you earlier in this podcast that when I was 10 years old and going into the Tropicale, it was just like going into the Roman Coliseum. It was this massive thing. Yeah. The, the Regal Princess was the same way. That thing is well over 5,000 people. You could see it from miles away. And when we got <laughs> to the ship, it was like, oh my gosh, I feel like I'm 10 again. This is the biggest ship I have ever seen in my life. The embarkation was smooth. It The the customer service was exemplary across the board. Um, and the ports we went to were spectacular. Um, in that specific cruise, we started off in Copenhagen, Denmark. Then we went to Oslo, Norway. Saw a couple of things over there, which was really, really cool, um, including a Viking ship museum, which was amazing. Oh, that's awesome. Then we went down to Rostock, which is in Germany. That's the, on the former East German side. And we got a chance to see Schwerin Castle, uh, which is where a lot of Walt Disney's ideas came from. And so we had a tour to see that. And then uh, the next day we went over to Tallinn, which is in Estonia. Um, got a really beautiful opportunity to see the people and the culture there. And then the next two days we're in St. Petersburg, Russia. Wow. And so <laughs> that was unbelievable. It was a, it was a, it, that to me was one of the highlights of the trip. It the people that we encountered there were all amazing. The food was actually really surprisingly good. I, I didn't think it would be. And I was like blown away at how amazing it was. The, the sites were there were spectacular. I, I couldn't have given it more top marks. And then after that, we went over to Helsinki, Finland, which was also really extraordinary. Um, we saw a small town there. Uh, we went to a plantation where they actually sat us down, gave us lunch. At the same time, we got to see a dressage horse uh, exercise. And so that was oh, really cool. cool. Um, and then the, after that, we went to Stockholm, Sweden, um, and then back over to Copenhagen to disembark. That's awesome. I, and, and we just had Mary Miller on a few mm -hmm. weeks ago. We had her on a snippet last week. And she is a princess cruiser, yep. and she just she won't sail. It kind of she kind of accidentally became a princess cruiser, but now she's like doesn't want to sail anything else. And and when we talk to her, like we complain about something, which isn't much because we love cruising. But you know, we we complain about something. She's like, it's not like that on princess cruises. I don't know what you're talking about. So uh, that's that is high marks. I would. The the other thing is, um, just to, this is a little off topic, but just because you were talking about cruising in the Baltics. Um, that that's one of the things that I want to do is is be able to eventually get over to do some European cruising, mm -hmm. because that's where I feel like I would really enjoy the cultural aspect. I'm a huge fan of art history, and I would want to see that. My fear is like if I did like a Mediterranean cruise or something where I would hit some of these spots is because of the limited port time. Would I have enough time to to really take in all of this 
stuff that I w- want to see in person. What what do you think about that? Oh, the answer is yes. Hardcore okay. yes. Because um, <laughs> after that cruise, the next cruise we took was a Mediterranean cruise. Um, so that one was on the Celebrity Infinity. And that one, uh, we went to Sicily. We went to Malta. We went to Argostoli, which is a small con- uh, small island of Greece. Then we went to Dubrovnik. I'm not sure if you're a fan of Game of Thrones, but that oh, yeah. is all of King's Landing. And you get a chance to go through it, which is fantastic. Um, then over to Slovenia, and then we disembarked in Venice. So being able to go there, see the churches, see the museums, really spend some good quality time there. You can spend an entire day at some of these locations based on based on that stuff. Um, you have the time to be able to do it. It's just a matter of finding the right excursion that works best for you. Um, being of a more advanced age now, uh, I have found that I don't I say per- that Scott. <laughs> sorry sorry um <laughs> I have found that I prefer the shorter excursions uh, so I I usually like the four four to five hour excursions is good for me my husband being a younger whippersnapper um he's more <laughs> about the hey I'll take the nine hour cur- or the nine hour excursion I'm like peace out dude um so <laughs> he goes to, he goes does his thing um I'll do mine and sometimes we'll meet up together to do a smaller excursion but I'm definitely more about the the aspects of the excursions that are focused on culture and art and history. And he is much more on the zip lining and bungee jumping and craziness. Okay. And so like, it sounds like us. Yeah. A little right. bit. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, she's, she'd zip line and I'd be like, uh, can I see an animal? Cause I, I will, I'm well, willing I to sacrifice my comfort. Too. Right. But you would just zip line. Although you don't like heights either. So zip lining's cool though. I would zip line. It, it is. It isn't as bad as just like, Walking now, I won't that. jump off of a cliff. <laughs> Not even with a thing attached to your leg, Kimbra? No. Nope. <laughs> okay. Nope. Won't do that. Yeah. I'm, I, I take a hard pass on that, but yeah. I, it's like, you know what? You still got years in front of you, and just as long as your insurance is paid up, I'm all ca- I'm okay with that. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> so, so let's recap a little bit here. Mm-hmm. Um, be, between sailing back in the 70s and eight, 70s and 80s, I'm putting more age on you than I need to here, oh. which is bad because I'm older than you. Between the <laughs> 80s and 90s uh, and sailing in, say, the the mid to 2000s to up, up until now, what would be something that you would say you miss from back then and something that you would have missed back then had you known the direction cruising was going? So one of the things I look at uh, – with a lot of memory back from those earlier cruises is the focus on the care in which a lot of the customer service was displayed. It wasn't so much a in your face sales pitch, like sometimes a cruise can be, it's also not, um, it's, it's kind of like we are here to service you all the time. That's how we look at it as opposed to, when you go when you go someplace and you feel like someone's just there to work there, um, that's that's kind of where I view some of the cruising. Unfortunately, uh, if it, it, again, I'm just being completely honest, uh, where I see some of the modern cruising customer service at. However, as I said, and I'm going to I, I'm going to also agree with Mary on this one. Princess <laughs> has been spectacular. I mean, I I was just blown away by the customer service on there. Um, so again, it, it it's one of those things. I think. I think you, you, your viewers should f- find a cruise line, uh, certainly that works best for you. I, as you've seen, have gone through a number of different ones uh, from everything from Norwegian to celebrity to carnival to, um, you know, uh, princess. And, you know, you find the one that works best for you and your situation. I don't have kids, you know. And so for me, you know, being on a cruise ship of 3,000 where 900 of them are children under the age of 15 <laughs> is not the best fit no. for me. That being said, I think there's a, I think there's a, I think there's a discussion to be had about that. Um, as cruising has evolved over the last few years, I think of it in the same, the same way that a place like Las Vegas has evolved. In the 50s, it was more geared towards, um, you know, shows and entertainment and, you know, the gambler. And then in the 90s, it's made this huge shift to be more of a family oriented location where you would have mm-hmm. like a roller coaster or a show at almost every single one of the places on the strip. And now they're shifting back to more of a not it's not a kid environment and not a family environment, but more of a 
our demographic is more in the late 20s, early 30s type thing. So they can do things at every level. So I think, again, in my opinion, I think they've shifted from cruising in the early 80s being more of a older person's sport um, geared towards that resort feel to mm. now more of a, hey, now it's more geared towards not only the family, but pretty much whatever kind of experience you would like to have. If you want a cruise experience that's geared more towards an economic savings, there are cruise lines for that. If you want more that's geared towards the posh experience, there are cruise lines for that. It just depends on what you feel you want to in engage in and what you want to encounter during those cruises. I mean, there are Disney cruises out there that are fantastic for families. There are cruises, the one cruise that I was talking about doing at the end of this year that would include India is on Oceana. And that is a very, very upscale cruise line. And so right. it's not something that a lot of people jump into readily because the price point's pretty high. But at the same time, it also goes to some of those places that you don't normally get a chance to go to. So when you do find those opportunities, you want to jump on them, but they are something that you would save up for. So at least that's my view on how cruising's changed over the last couple of years. No, I think that makes a lot of sense because I, I think cruise lines now are trying to capture a broader group of customers. And so they're, they're expanding uh, who they're for, which is smart on their part, but it's also nice for the, for us who are customers because we can, like you said, we can choose and sort of customize our experience based on what we want. And I, I wonder sometimes when you meet that person out there who's tried cruising and hated it, if they just didn't find the right match, you know, and they just, they're, they're not willing to try it again. They couldn't, you know, there, I'm sure there are some people that don't like cruising, but, uh, but a lot of times I wonder if it's just a, or they had a bad experience or it was a windy cruise or something like that. So yeah. you can really find your, your niche. Yeah. And I'll bring, if I can bring up one person, um, my sister is a perfect example of that. My sister, I, I love her to pieces. She is one of these people who she did not like cruising initially. And she, she definitely didn't like the idea of going to places that were not a much more driven cultural experience. But then a couple of years ago, she had an opportunity and, and she was like, well, I'm seasick. You know, that's my biggest issue. I, I can't I can't deal with, you know, large cruise ships or going out on the ocean. But she was given an opportunity a couple of years ago. And I think her husband helped to convince her on this as well to do a Viking River cruise. And so with Viking and doing any of the river cruises that are out there, it's a much smoother sailing It right. is for the cultural experience that she wants. It was ticking all the boxes. So, again, it led to specifically what she was looking for. And so I think that's ultimately what it's about. Um, don't just jump into a cruise because it has the ports that you're looking for. There might be other cruise lines that offer the same ports, but give you a different experience too. So definitely take the time, explore the options, see what's best for you. And I always encourage people to, you know, don't rush into it. Don't feel pressured to just because a, a price point is low. Don't, don't purchase something tomorrow on that. No, that's great advice. Well, listen, Scott, thank you so much. Before we go, please tell us where, tell everybody where they can find you and, and your information and your experiences out there on the, the worldwide internet. Oh, well, thank you so much. And I appreciate it. By the way, thank you guys for doing all the stuff that you do on Fantastic Cruising as well. Oh, yeah. um, so I'm available at uh, theprofessortravel.com. You can find me on Facebook and on uh, uh YouTube on that location. That's where my vlog is located. And you can also see some of my travel videos there too. Um, I'm also on TikTok now. Uh, so you can find me at the <laughs> professor travel there. Um, you can also find me on a variety of different social media on Twitter. I'm available there at the professor TR one. And if you're a blogger, uh, you can find me on the professor travel.blogspot.com. Uh, but again, I, I, I definitely do what I can in order to help provide a little bit more of the cultural experience. And for your viewers that are out there, I certainly would welcome them to come by. And I, I think we share the same space. So if there's anything I can do in order to continue to enhance you guys too, certainly let me know. I'm always here to help support you guys. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Scott. Thank you so much. All right. Well, that was really great to have Scott on here and to see his take on some of the evolution of cruising. I know it's pretty cool to get that different perspective. And not only that, but uh, one of the cool things about all the stuff that Scott does through YouTube and the podcast is that he focuses on 
other other travel and he's got a lot of experience extensive experience traveling in different places so it's a it's a unique perspective in this space and a, a welcome one yeah absolutely so make sure to check out his youtube channel his podcast uh his website everything that scott does is awesome thank you professor travel Okay, and that splash means that it is time for the cruise creature. What is the cruise creature going to be this week, Kimbra? This week is going to be the manta ray. Ooh. Yeah. You can. Whenever you think about an animal like the manta ray, you have to do something like that. You have to go, ooh, because manta rays are exceptional animals. Yeah, they're like really big and just awesome (laughs) they are really big in fact there are technically two different species of manta ray that have currently been described and uh, one of them is really big getting up to 23 feet across so you don't you measure them like from wingtip to wingtip or fin tip to fin tip because they're wider than they are long 23 feet that's like big bigger than this room it is bigger than this room. We have a statue out in front of the Florida Aquarium of a manta ray, and it is to scale. And if you ever visit the Florida Aquarium and you see that statue, uh, just just know that that is not an exaggerated mock-up of a manta ray. It's, yeah. It's the real deal. Now, the other species is a little bit smaller, only maxing out at about 18 feet. So that's still, still big. sizable. And those guys are, are more coastal. So... Basically, they're going to stay in one spot most of the time. They're more predictable. They are not so much in the Caribbean, though. You can find them, though, if you're cruising in, like, Hawaii or uh, other parts of the Pacific, maybe the eastern Atlantic. Over in the Caribbean, we just get the bigger pelagic species, and they're migratory, which is kind of, pelagic means open ocean, so they're swimming out in the open ocean, and so they're more seasonal. Like, when I did the whale shark swim, there was a good chance we would have seen manta rays. We didn't, but there was a chance that we could have, and uh, that's because just like the whale sharks, they're traveling around all throughout the tropical parts of the world. Okay, Matt, can you tell us a little more about these majestic creatures? Oh, majestic. Yes, I can. So uh, they are filter feeders. They have big open mouths. They swim around and they swallow little things, which is why you normally see them up at the surface. But they do swim deep underwater and eat small to medium-sized fish as well. So they sometimes are what we would call a macro predator. But for the most part, they're they're living off of that plankton up at the surface, zooplankton, animal plankton, little tiny things. They got to eat a lot of it. They got to eat often. Okay. Now they have things that eat them as well. They, so, what do you mean? These things are huge. There's nothing that can eat them. There there are some things that eat them. What do you think is big enough to eat a manta ray? What would be a threat to a 20 foot long animal in the ocean? I mean, the only large thing that I can think of is, like, a great white shark. Yeah, big sharks. That's one of the things that that predates on these guys. Also, killer whales. That makes sense. We'll go after them. Thing is, they're not always in the same areas because killer whales tend to like it colder and these guys tend to like it warmer, but they sometimes cross paths. And then the other thing is cookie cutter sharks. What? You know what a cookie cutter shark is? That's, like, the little bitty thing that... Yeah, they're, they're like, less than two feet long. They live in the deep, and they get the name cookie cutter because they, the way their jaws are when they bite things, they take, like, a, like, if you can imagine taking a cookie cutter and, like, going into dough and taking a chunk out, that's kind of what they do. So they're not eating the whole manta ray. They're just taking bits and pieces. No enough bits and it can't fly through the water? No, I think it's just more probably annoying to them. Okay. You know, kind of like a mosquito would be or Uh, something like chigger, something like that would be to you or me. Okay. uh, To them. Maybe a little bit more painful, though. I mean, the scale's a little bigger from them to uh, what we would compare to a small insect or something. But, yeah, they do have predators. And they also have to figure out ways to get rid of those. So one of the things that you'll sometimes see these manta rays doing is breaching. And what that means is basically jumping out of the water and splashing down. And we don't know for sure why they do that, but one of the main theories is that they're trying to remove parasites. So they get little parasites on them as well. And uh, and, and we maybe they're just doing it to have fun. I mean, I don't know. I'm not I inside would. the brain of a manta ray. I would too. 
Like if you could do it, why wouldn't you? Exactly. You know that somebody asked the manta ray, why did you breach? And he said, because it was there. But anyway, uh, we don't know for sure, but but we think that's probably one of the reasons they do that. They do sometimes go into coral reefs, into what is called a cleaning station, where there will be little animals like neon gobies and things that will uh, come over to larger animals, usually things like groupers, and they will pick off the parasites. So it's like their own personal fish wash. Well, that's cool. Speaking of fish, these guys are related to stingrays. They're related to sharks. They're cartilaginous fish. Uh, they're closer to stingrays, obviously, and they even have a very close relative called the devil ray, which is what our baseball team in the Tampa Bay area used to be called, but now it's just the rays. Lame. And, uh, and, and here's the thing. Devil rays don't get as big. Yeah, they're like, what, they get up to four feet? Yeah, something like that. But so they look the same. They look similar. And so what do you mean by look similar? Well, so manta rays have these, they have the ray shape. You know, everybody knows what a stingray looks like. But their mouth is in the front instead of below. So most stingrays, the mouth is underneath. But the other difference is they have these things called cephalic cephalic fins i think that's what it's called anyway they're these two little fin lobes that are up by their mouths and uh they i guess at some point in history somebody decided those looked like horns and so they said they're devil fish devil rays and then yeah okay kind of weird but that's so that's those things is probably why why the manta ray is called like their scientific name is birostris it's oh. like two rostrums. Spitting out the Latin. Yes. I think I think so. I think so. That would I mean, make that sense. makes sense. Two rostrums. That's, yeah. that's Kimbra's theory. I didn't read that anywhere. <laughs> uh, now, they are often shaded in a certain way. You may have heard me use this expression before. It's called counter shading. That is a type of camouflage that a lot of animals use from penguins to dolphins to stingrays to sharks to alligators basically it means dark on the top light underneath it helps the animals by having camouflage whether you are above them looking down or below them looking up because the sunlight shining through or the dark water below they have that however they are a little bit variable in their coloration now most manta rays are dark on the top and light underneath and maybe they have some white splotches on their on their back on their dorsal side but there are some animals that are almost all white and there are some animals that are almost all black and there is one animal that lives over on the great barrier reef that is actually pink pink yes pink like a flamingo like a flamingo or the pink panther they actually named this Clouseau, after Professor Clouseau of the Inspector Pink... Clouseau. Inspect, sorry, Inspector Clouseau. It's been a while since I've seen a, a Pink Panther movie yeah. or anything. What's the What's the theme song? Anyway, this is probably not like a separate species. In fact, we know that it's not. There have been skin samples taken from this animal, and it is most likely just a skin mutation, a pigment mutation something like you would get with other animals when you have things like albinos and leucistic and melanistic animals. It's just a certain type that makes the skin all pink. But it's really cool. You can find pictures of it on the Googles. Yeah, it's really cool. I think it was it was discovered in 2015, so it's it's new, but it's I think they said it was an 11-foot male, which means it's probably older than 5 years old. Yeah, yeah, it could be older than that. Yeah. And and there was I think there was a lot of controversy at first. They were like, sure, you saw a pink manta ray. And then some more people saw it. And yeah, then there were, been... there were photographic evidence of it, and it wasn't photoshopped. And then uh, and then it was actually captured and samples were drawn yeah. from this animal. So pretty cool, the manta ray. And uh, you may be in a spot where you could actually do an excursion and swim with these animals. Uh, it's possible you could see it from a cruise ship while you were traveling i don't know of anyone who's ever had that kind of luck if you have send me an email fantasticcruising at gmail.com i would love to know about that experience but like i said i know when i went to the whale shark swim they actually thought we they saw a uh, manta ray and it was just a whale shark i mean i wasn't really disappointed either way but uh, but there are actual excursions where you get especially in in like hawaii and stuff where the manta rays are the, the 
coastal species where they kind of know they're going to be there. But uh, I know there's offerings in Grand Cayman and stuff. Uh, I don't know if you can get those with a cruise necessarily, but you can definitely get those experiences. I think we need to do that. I would love to do that. Yeah. I did the whale shark thing. I would love to do that again, but I definitely would like to swim with manta rays. That would be amazing. I'd like a, like, manta ray hug. Yeah, I don't know that they'll hug you. No, but I think it sounds cozy. (laughs) All right, Matt, that was a pretty cool cruise feature. I agree. But I think it's time to head for the horizon, and until next time, seize the day. Have a fantastic week, everybody. Hey, everybody. Thanks for staying tuned in to the podcast. Um, look, it's it's boring right now, right? We're all stuck at home. I mean, can't go out or anything. So Kimber and I have found a little bit of nature so we can get outside a little bit and uh, and breathe some fresh air. What have we been doing? So behind our apartment building is a little pond And when we first moved in, we were walking along this pond and noticed a bunch of turtles, like, swarming over to us. And our thought was, hmm, people feed these turtles. So what did we do? We bought some turtle food. We bought some turtle food. Yeah, this is normally I would say it's not a good idea to feed wildlife. But in some cases, I I feel like it's okay to make an exception. And in this case, this is an apartment pond that has pretty much no life in it other than these turtles and the occasional bird visitor maybe a few small fish like even the plants i think they put some chemicals in that killed all the plants since we moved in so these poor turtles are just stuck in this pond and uh, i don't know if they have another food source they probably eat insects or occasional fish if they can find one but uh, but they do enjoy some turtle pellets yeah so about once a day or at least almost once a day We try and get out, and we go feed the turtles, and I think we've counted, what, seven soft shells? Yeah, seven Florida soft shells. And three or four red-eared sliders. Yeah, old red-eared sliders that live in there. Yeah, and uh, and we've actually gotten to where we can identify most of them individually because of size and markings. We've got Marilyn Monroe, and we've got Scarface. We've got Tiny Tim. Yep, Tiny Tim, Little Jim. Yep. And uh, we haven't named them all, yeah. but we're working on it. Cyclops, yeah, yeah, maybe, yeah, maybe. <laughs> we got one with a spot right in the middle of his two eyes. So yeah. Anyway, um, what are you guys doing to get through this? Send us an email, fantasticcruising at gmail dot com. Let us know how you're coping with quarantine, and uh, whatever you're doing, keep doing it. Indeed. <laughs>